Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come here just to fellowship together, worship together. Lord, love seeing new people come in. Father, we're thankful for that. Um, We just pray that uh, the light of the gospel, glory of Christ would shine upon this place right now, Father. That people would see you, sense you, understand you. That we would look inside of our hearts and see, you know, the things that we've done that hasn't been pleasing in your sight. You just tell us to confess our sins because you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse ourselves from all unrighteousness, Father. And, And today, I just want to tell you, I love you, Father, and thank you for this opportunity to share your truth. This morning when I woke up, I had this cool vest on with this tie, but Kathy looked at me and said I looked like I was 100, so I took it off and just left the tie on. She's always so honest with me. It's unbelievable. And then I thought to myself, well, I'm starting out with C.S. Lewis. He was born in 1898. He died in 1963, and I found out C.S. stands for Clive Staples Lewis. I never even knew that, and I checked to see he did not invent a stapler, but his name was Clive Staples Lewis. And I wanted to start out the message today uh, with something that he wrote in an essay called Modern Man and the Categories of His Thought. This guy was deep. I mean, he was a theologian, writer. So he said this in that essay, Man is becoming narrowly practical as irrational animals. In lecturing to popular audiences, I have repeatedly found it almost impossible to make them understand that I recommended Christianity because I thought its affirmations to be objectively true. They are simply not interested. And I'm going to read this sentence, and I want you to think of what's going on in the United States right now, because, boy, does this fit it. They are simply not interested in the question of truth or falsehood. They only want to know if it will be comforting, inspiring, or social, socially useful. Incredible. Incredible. I had to read that sentence again. They only want to know if it will be comforting or inspiring or socially useful. This series that we've been working through is called Truth and Consequences. Uh, Paul shared some truth about the gospel, and I'm going to share that in Romans 1, 16, and 17, and then we're going to get to the bad consequences. This chapter, Romans chapter 1, lays out all our questions to why there is so much turmoil going on, why there is so much disunity going on, why there is so much sin, rampant, evil, everything. But Paul started out uh, with a confidence in Romans 1, 16 and 17, this is what his life was about. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God's no respecter of persons. God created all of us. God wants to have a relationship with us. And Paul just comes out and said, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes it to Jew first, and also to the Greek. For, it in, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Some versions put faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The NIV study Bible commentary said this, 
the theme for the entire book of Romans is from those two verses I just read. Faith to faith or faith for faith, meaning beginning and ending in faith, because that's what our life is all about. And because Paul said that he was not ashamed of the gospel, this leads me to ask you a couple questions this morning. One, what happens if you decide or if you choose to be ashamed of the gospel? What happens or what are the consequences that happen when you choose not to believe in the gospel or if you choose not to be righteous? And you're listening, and I put righteousness is the state of being in the right in relationship to God. That's so true. I've had teenagers ask me through the years this question so many times. What about those people that are in the faraway countries or in deepest part of Africa or the rainforest? What about those people? They probably don't even know English. I mean, could they really know the gospel and understand the gospel? And the Bible tells us that there's no excuses that we all heard. And I will prove that to you this morning from Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Ah. This is going to be a hard message today because a lot of things I'm going to say are very contrary to what the world is teaching us today. You know what I'm trying to say? And I, and I hope you can grasp this and understand this because I truly believe that God's word never changes. It's been from the beginning. It was written through men, uh, carried along. It says God breathed by the Holy Spirit and written down for us for generations to know how to love him, to know how to love others, how to get our way to heaven. So he starts with verse 18, the wrath of God. No one really wants to talk about that. We're going to talk about it today, though. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In verse 19, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. It says, For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So we see God in his attributes, in nature, in his power. And I hope and pray that today's message will show you the consequences of what happens to you when you start living your life by suppressing the truth of God's word or not having nothing to do with God or not having God first in your life. In the Google images, I saw this truth is truth, even if no one believes it. And a lie is a lie even if everyone believes it. Think about it. It's so true. And as Christians, we cannot, we should not, we must not suppress the truth. And we know where truth is. It's in his Bible, the word. So in verse 21, he goes on and says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. In their foolish hearts, they were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. So you look at this 
uh, three verses there, these people know God. We know who God is. We just don't honor him as God or we don't give thanks to him. So because of this, the results of this or the consequence of this that I want to make personal for all of us, for me, for you, for us, we will become futile in our thinking. If we choose not to follow God, not to go the way he has mapped out for us or give us purpose to do that, Our thinking becomes futile, and futile means fruitless. Futile means unsuccessful. Futile means vain and pointless and useless. And your foolish hearts, the word says, will become dark, meaning there's not a lot of light in your heart. It's full of darkness. It's full of evil. And you think you're wise, maybe because you have this or have accomplished this or know this, but you basically become a fool. And a fool is a silly or stupid person, a person who lacks judgment or sense. And then I thought to myself, well, what are some of the synonyms? Because I'm into synonyms and cinnamon as well. But a word for fool would be dupe, a person who is easily deceived or fool. Another synonym would be buffoon, a person given to coarse and undignified joking. Uh, Just look at late night for that. A chump, informal, or a stupid person. I have another quote from C.S. Lewis from his writing called Christian Apologetics. Just fits. One of the great difficulties is to keep before the audience's mind the question of truth. They always think you are recommending Christianity not because it's true, but because it's good. In any discussion, he wrote, they will at every moment try to escape the issue from truth or false into stuff about a good society or morals, or he says the incomes of bishops or anything whatever. I mean, C.S. Lewis even used the word whatever. You have to keep forcing them back and again back to the real point Only thus will you be able to undermine their belief that a certain amount of religion is desirable, but one mustn't carry it too far. One must keep on pointing out that Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance, but if true, infinite importance. Do you understand that? Infinite importance. The one thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. So now call, I come to the point of the message where I get to the subtitle of this message. As you see on the front of the listening guide, three life-altering consequences. And each one of these consequences, each step, each time you go, it takes you further away from God and your relationship with God. And I'm here to tell you today, don't fall into these traps. The first one, and you'll see it in the verses, God gives them over to the lust of their heart. If you choose not to thank him, you choose not to follow him, your foolish heart becomes darkened, and then all of a sudden he gives you over to the lust of your hearts. And this is what he says, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. And I thought to myself, well, what is the results of that? What is the results? What does your life look like if he gives you over to the lust of your hearts? And there it comes, to impurity, to dishonoring of your bodies 
among themselves. And I thought to myself, well, why would that happen? Why would someone want that? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and amen. And the other night I'm laying in bed, I'm thinking, because that's what I do in bed. I just think about the word and, and I'm thinking about, well, what is the word creature mean in the Greek. So I looked it up, and it's kidzo, and it says probably meaning akin to, to fabricate or create. So when it says that they worshiped and served a creature rather than a creator, in other words, we create gods. We create things to worship rather than the creator, capital C, who is blessed forever. Amen. And the word amen there I saw in the uh, commentary at the end of verse 25, it can either mean yes indeed, it is so, or so be it. So the first consequence, as with the next two, I really feel like as we're looking at these consequences, which is totally contrary to our current culture, God is allowing sin to run its course as an act of judgment. He's just bringing judgment upon us because first, we don't thank him. We don't honor him. We serve and and create our own gods instead of the one true God. Praise God. Then it goes down to the second one. Second life-altering consequence comes. God gives them over to dishonorable passions. All right? For this reason, verse 26 says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relationship with those who are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Ladies and gentlemen, this generation is really falling into that trap, and you see the spiraling down. I mean, I'm changing the channels tonight, and I'm looking at 8 o'clock shows where men are kissing men and women are kissing women, and that's not natural with God. God didn't create us to do that, and I feel bad for teenagers because you are seeing that everywhere you go. If you're watching any regular TV, you'll see it's going on, and there's an underlying... uh, How can I say it? A teaching that it's okay to do that and it's not. Homosexual practice is sinful in God's eyes, just like any other sin. It's not any different than any other sin. It's just contrary to God. Leviticus in the Old Testament said this, You should not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And if you look at the last book in the New Testament, Revelations, it says this, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have a right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. But outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. This is serious stuff. I mean, it's unbelievable. Just the evilness we see in this generation. So then I thought to myself, because I'm into this dictionary app now. It's so cool. I looked up the word dog. And the fifth definition was a despicable man or youth. The eighth definition said slang, something worthless or of extreme poor quality. An other failure 
a flop. The third life-altering consequence is God gives them up to a debased mind. That's like the last step, man, is a debased mind. And what does the scripture said? They did not see it fit to acknowledge God, so God gave them up to a debased mind what to do, what ought not to be done. So if you decide to live your life not thanking the Lord, not seeking him, you know, the word says, seek first the kingdom of God all is, and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. If you decide not to do that, the Bible tells us what will happen to you. And in verse 29, it goes on and says, they were filled, filled with all manner of unrighteousness, filled with evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy. Murder, strike, deceit, maliciousness, or gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, disobedient to parents, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. There are people living that way right now because God has given them over because they choose not to follow him. They choose not to surrender their life to him, and they become in that. Debase means perverted or corrupted, degrading, corrupt, and sullied mean to soil or stain or tarnish. And then this brought me to Wednesday night with the teenagers. We had a great time Wednesday night. If you get a chance, look in our room later. Because at the teenagers Wednesday night, I... You know, we came up with these two verses, and Eric and I were in there ministering to them. And these two verses, we wanted, I wanted to talk about the narrow gate and the wide gate. And I said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And I wanted the teenagers to understand that most of the people, they're going to be involved with it in their life or going down the wide road. They don't want nothing to do with the narrow road. And the narrow road leads to Christ. The narrow road leads to hope. The narrow road leads to life and more abundantly. And then I asked them, what goes on when you decide to live the wide gate? And they wrote out those key words, and you can see it. They wrote it out, and it was from the verses I just read. Because if you choose to go the, white, the wide road, you're going to end up full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, all those things that I read. You're going to end up living your life that way. It was beautiful. And then all of a sudden, little Zach, no one asked him to do it. Zach starts to draw a gate. It was incredible. He drew this big gate to show that the gate is wide to go in the wide road. Then we got, go ahead, the next thing. Then we got into the narrow road. Enter in the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the road, it leads to destruction, and many find it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road, it leads to life. And only a few find it. And I'm here today and saying that I hope everybody sitting in here is choosing that narrow gate and walking that narrow way because you'll find life and find it more abundantly. And if you're here and you're blessed to be married and you're a husband, oh my gosh, when you go that narrow road, you're going to understand what it means to love your wife. If you're a wife and you're married to a husband, you're going to understand what it means to love your husband. You're going to understand how to bring Christ out into the world. 
And so then we put up sheets. What did it mean to go the narrow road? And we talked about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law can go against that. And then little Zach drew a little gate for us. It was powerful. It was powerful. It was just beautiful that night how we did that. Then he goes on in verse 32, which is the last verse of chapter 1 in Romans. Though they know God's righteous decree, meaning that everyone's ever been created by God knows. I don't care where you live, where you've been, what you've done. We know he creates something in your heart. And it's really, in some ways, it's a void in your heart. That he wants to fill it should you choose to allow him to fill it. Or you're going to go the wide road and fill it with other things. Foolishness, faithless, heartless, ruthless, boastful. So although they know God's righteous degree that those who practice such things deserve to die, Paul wrote, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. It's incredible. Incredible. You watch award shows and, you know, there's probably one on tonight. There's usually one on every week. I mean, country music, they have like six a year. But I don't want to down country music because a lot of those guys talk about God. And this is God's country. Amen. Praise God. So I'm not cutting down the country. But I'm talking about just getting up there, you know, cursing making fun of our leaders, making fun of police, making fun of soldiers, and people clapping, yeah, yeah. Guys holding hands with guys, girls holding hands with girls, making out on stage, they're clapping, screaming, because they're approving of that, because that's the path they're going down. And what do we do? Pray for them, man, pray for them. There are so many people I was praying on TV for this week. Seriously. So many people. And Kathy, she's not here, so. Nick, these people are crazy. She'll say things to me like that. It's just incredible. But they're in the wide road, man. They're full. Full of the world. Full of stuff that they think is going to make them happy. And that's why they try to fill that void, you know, with sex outside of marriage, with drugs, with alcohol, everything they can do to fill that void. And then they give approval of it. And you're listening, God, I put meaning the extreme sin is applauding rather than regretting the sins of other. Lord, let us not be ashamed of the gospel. So these three, these three life-altering consequences can happen to us should we choose to suppress God's word? That's why it's so important to be in his word. That's why every day in this place, whenever there's a Bible study or a fellowship or people having fun and stuff, we're going to do everything we can to teach them God's word and make it come to life so you don't go down the wide road because I'm going to be honest with you, the Bible says many of them are going to go that way. Most people are going to go that way. But the narrow road, the narrow gate is for those who want Christ, who want to live their life for Christ, who want to understand what it means to have peace and hope in their lives. It's so important. Ushers, if you want to come forward and band. 
So I will close with the two verses that I opened up with because we need to come back from the negative and the wide road and come back to the narrow road. In the narrow road, if we're walking the narrow road, we should say this, know this, understand this, live this, have passion for it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek. For it is in it is the righteousness of God. Which was revealed by faith for faith. It is written the righteous shall live by faith. So God, thank you. Keep playing. So God wants you to take your faith and bring it outside these walls and spread it. And share it and grab a hold of some people. Jude said, grab people, snatch them out of the fire. And give them the life and hope that we find in Christ. Father, I thank you for your word today. Father, it's hard to sometimes just to say things that are so contrary. Because if I did this out in public, I'd be called a homophobe. I would call, I wouldn't care about anybody. I would be called prideful, a prude, a Jesus freak. I love being called a Jesus freak. So, Father, I pray that these words come to life that, I I mean, this chapter almost comes into me daily because it gives us a reason why. Why we see things spiraling out of control in this nation. But, God, you put people into office. You put them in and you take them out. And it's our responsibility to love on them, pray for them, respect them, follow them as they follow the laws, Father, as they follow the Constitution. The Constitution was written by men who had Bible degrees. The Constitution was signed by people who prayed and fasted before they got together as the founding fathers to have a nation is free. I am free to free, to live our lives, to worship you, that we can worship you any way we want to. But we know Christianity is the way. You said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. Bless our offering today, Father. Praise God. Father, take care of this dominion power. They're killing me, man. We got another bill, $900. I don't know what's going on. Elizabeth and I are walking around here in winter coats with the heat off. Praise God. So, Father, I just ask you to bless our offering. Bless our altar time. There might be somebody in here that wants to come forward. Even though we have three powerful ladies who are prayer warriors coming up here, maybe they want to join them. Or maybe they want to come up and say, Father, I've been doing the wide road and I want to go to narrow road. Show me how to do that. In your name I pray, amen.